0: we're we're on our tenth message today from this series of fighting division, and today we want to close out this section. We will see what the lord does I, I right now I feel pressed to continue through the book of corinthians but or first Corinthians, but we'll see what the Lord does this week, but as of today, this section in chapter one through four. Uh, We're going to close it out with the thought of preventing division, preventing division. You know, we've talked about this and we know that at this time, I'm fully aware that, that there's no division within this church that I'm aware of. You know, usually something such as that, the pastor is the last to know, uh, but, as far as I'm aware, there is none. But I do know that we have an enemy. I do know that God has been blessing. And because God's been blessing, the enemy is is being stirred up. As we are stirred up in the Lord, he's stirred up in his evilness. And and he wants to try and divide us. But But what I'm aware of is if we've got the proper skills then we're able to prevent division from happening if we will follow and use the skills that we find in Scripture. If we would turn to chapter 4, we're going to look, I'm going to read one verse. This one verse will tie in verses 6 through 13 with verses 15 through 21. So we're going to span the rest of this chapter from verse 6, but we're going to read just one verse. And we're going to read verse 14 in chapter 4. But as you're turning there, you all know that I I love baseball. Uh, right now, uh, I may watch a little bit of golf, but I don't watch basketball and I'm not watching much football, but I, I just love baseball and I, I could sit down and watch a three hour baseball game where some people it's mind numbing to them. They, they lose their mind trying to sit in one place and watch a game that takes that long, but, but I love it. And as I'm watching it, I'm, I'm actually going through all the schemes and all the things that the coaches can do while this game is going on and and sometimes I'm frustrated sometimes I'm I'm right on board with the coach and it just depends on on where I'm at as an armchair coach when it comes to baseball and and when, when I started playing I I I didn't make the team I didn't make the little league team till I was 11 years old you know there's a couple reasons for that uh, one maybe we had just that much talent around Union Chapel and Mount Airy the work it was hard to get on the team unless you were extremely good I want to say that's the reason but then there's the other reason that I probably I may not have been that good uh, that, and, and that's that's just the truth of it I, I'm I'm grown now I can admit that I wasn't what I I thought in my mind I might have been but but at at 11 years old I found a position that I could play pretty well as a matter of fact even at 11 years old I was one of the best in our league at that position and and I I was the starting catcher in my first year on the team and then the next year I'm the oldest on the team And, and we get a new coach and this new coach does some things that the former coach didn't do like because he was a catcher all through his baseball time. All from Little League up to high school, he, he was a catcher. And, and, and I found that after practice every day, everybody got to leave except me. I had to put the gear back on and I had to get in my position. And he was throwing baseballs at me. And they were all in the dirt, some to my left, some to my right, some right in front of me. And I had to do everything in my power to block every ball. Now, this didn't happen the year before. I didn't have to go through this. And here I am, a returning starter at a position I felt I played pretty well. I'm the oldest one on the team. And I'm having to stay out there when everybody else is able to go home. And I'm here wondering, as a 12-year-old boy... Why is the coach doing this to me? Why is the coach making me stay here when everybody else gets to go home? I'm as tired as everyone else is, and and I'm not just there at practice. I'm there with all of that equipment. That that equipment on, you know, they called that the the equipment of ignorance because it took a a, a special person to, to desire to play this position. It, they called it the tools of ignorance. So, so that 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 should have told me something, hadn't it? But well, what I do know is this, that when game time come, because I had done what the coach told me to do, because I didn't argue and fuss and fight, I might have wanted to, but I didn't. I was scared to. My I had a dad that would do something about it if I did. And so what I found is that when we got in the game I had the necessary skills to help our team because whenever the pitcher threw a bad pitch whenever it was in the ground I was able to instinctively block that pitch block the ball the word a runner who might have been on first or who might have been on second didn't advance to the next base What, what that did was it prevented a lot of unnecessary runs what it did was make what it did was benefit the team all that extra work at the practice helped the team and it made me look good (laughs) it really made me look good as a matter of fact that year I'm not ashamed to say it but I was the best at that position in our league I was probably the oldest Maybe one of the biggest at that position, but can you believe that? Maybe I was one of the biggest in that position. So, so I, I knew that I was one of the best on our team. And we won. We won the league championship. We won the, the tournament. We won the county championship that year. Because the coach, partly because the coach gave me some skills... To help our team. When when we think about how the Apostle Paul went to great lengths addressing division in the church in Corinth. We can see just how some of those may have felt that Paul was picking on them. Besides, this was a church that was gifted with many spiritual gifts. It was a church that was able to financially be self-supported. It was a church that had great potential for winning souls to the kingdom of God. So we can see why some of them might have been feeling that the founder of our church is pleased with us. He doesn't think very highly of us. We can see why some of them may have felt that that Paul thought that they were failures as Christians. But Paul concludes this letter by telling them that his intent was not to hurt them. His intent was to prevent unnecessary division within the church. When we look here in verse 14 the Bible says I do not write these things to shame you but as my beloved children I warn you. Can I read that again? I do not write these things to shame you but as my beloved children I warn you. This is God's word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your presence and power in this place today. Now, God, we pray that you would move upon us, that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would speak to your people in a manner, God, in which you would want them to hear your word. And I pray, God, that as you do this, their hearts will be open, that minds will be listening, that God, that we would be attentive and we would respond to your word. And if there's one who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that today, God, you would speak to their hearts and they would call upon the name of the Lord. And God, we give you praise for everything that's accomplished. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. Now, I do want to again take the opportunity to remind us of the fact that Paul spends four chapters on this issue of division that was stemming from personal preference for preachers. These folks had their own personal preference on what pastor they wanted. They were crying out, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter. And then there were that few faithful (laughs) who were saying, but I'm of Jesus. And, And Paul here he he goes to great lengths. He pours his heart out to the people. He's not, we can't take this very lightly. We can't miss the message here that Paul has. When we first glance over this, it, it is important that we heed Paul's message. As he's pouring his heart out to these believers in Corinth, he genuinely loved this church. And he had great hopes because And because he had such great hopes for this church, Paul's intention was not to shame the Corinthian believers. His intention was not to shame the Corinthian believers. We see that. Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you. Well, the word shame here, it means to confound. So Paul didn't write to these things to confound the people or to confuse the people or to bring them to shame. These things that Paul is speaking about, we find in verses 6 through 13. When we look there in verse 14, it's, Paul is referring back to what he had just said. And in 16 through, I mean, in 6 through 13, we find that Paul goes to great lengths to tell them that he and Apollos were servants of God and they were responsible to the word of God and to be, and to share the word of God with them. So, Paul makes it clear that those in Corinth had indeed missed the messages. They missed the instructions that he and Apollos had been sharing with the Corinthian believers. These believers were so puffed up, thinking so highly of themselves, that they were divided because each one wanted their own way. (laughs) Can we imagine born again Christians? wanting their own way you know that that never happens you know churches all across the world they plant other churches we never see churches split to where they they go off because they didn't get their way we never see that happen do we I believe too many have missed this message this is this is so important to the church Paul, he's making clear here, these folks that were so puffed up, they wanted their own way. They were divided over personal preference. And we see in verse 7 where Paul makes us, uh, Paul asked the question, what makes you different from everyone else? Who, who do you think has given you what you have? You know, everything that they had accomplished, everything that they were, everything that they had gathered had been strictly given to them by the grace of God do you know that no matter how good you are at your job it's not because you're that intelligent do you know that no matter what you've been able to accomplish in life it's not because you're just that gifted it's because God has chosen to bless you and we always must give God praise for everything that he's done in our lives now I understand there are people with great skills but you've got that skill because God has given you that skill You've got intelligence because God has placed that intelligence within you. And and these people here in Corinth, they seem to have forgotten this. Everything they had was simply by the grace of God. Paul wanted them to understand that, that they may have been rich. They may have been gifted, but their gifts and wealth did not supersede the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they allowed it to, division would occur. They considered themselves so important, but the apostles, including Paul and Apollos, they were put on display. They were condemned to death. They were made spectacles to, for the whole world to see. But the Corinthians thought they were so important. Paul and Apollos were considered fools for the gospel uh, uh, for Christ's sake. Uh, but the Corinthians were so wise. But Paul and Apollos were they were they weren't uh, they were considered wise instead. They were they were weak, but the Corinthians were strong. The Corinthians were distinguished, but Paul and Apollos they were dishonored. Paul says, "Look at us." He wants those Corinthians to look at them and he says, look, we've been dishonored. Paul says we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're poorly dressed, we've been beaten, we've been homeless, we work to support ourselves. And look at us, we've been reviled, we are persecuted even though we endure it, we are defrained while doing the Lord's work. People look at us as if we're the filth of the world. And based, So basically what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, can I put it in my words? He says here, I, I am anyway. He, he, Paul says here, we're going through all of this so that you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And y'all want to sit here in all of your arrogance and allow things like your personal preference to divide you. Man, can you imagine the blood, the sweat, the tears? That Paul and Apollos had been shedding. And now, this church that Paul had founded is being divided over something that was meaningless. Oh, when we read this from the point of view of the Corinthian believers, (laughs) we can see how it would be easy for them to think that the apostle Paul was writing with the intention of bringing shame upon them. Can't we? Honestly, if we read this with the sarcasm that Paul uses, uh, it would sound as if he's confrontational with them. And for the most part, people in general, we don't like to be confronted. Whether it's on our job, whether it's with our friends, whether it's by our family, often when we are confronted, we get on the defensive. But Paul doesn't end his letter here with them. He didn't want them to feel as though he was confronting them with the intent on bringing shame upon them. So instead, what Paul does is he he shares his intention, and his intention is to save the Corinthian believers. What do you mean, preacher? Well... In verse 14, Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you, but instead he wrote them to warn you. It's the, it, so what Paul was doing, he, he's thinking that if he warns them, he can save them. Save them from what? Save them from division. Save them from missing out on the blessings that God has in store for them. Save them from not reaching their full kingdom potential if he could warn them. The word warn here, it means to admonish. This is the same word used for Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter six and verse four where Paul tells the fathers not to provoke their children but to bring them up in the training or King James says in the fear and the admonition Of the Lord, this word admonition it is to it means to instruct with words. So, in other words, Paul Paul here is saying to train the children up, sharing with them the words of the Lord. And here in this text, Paul calls these Corinthian believers his beloved children. So he, he doesn't desire to shame his children. Instead, he desires to save his children by admonishing them, by training them up with the truth of God's word. We must understand how Paul looked at the church. Paul was the church founder. He was truly invested in this church. He had birthed this church on the foundation that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, the foundation of this church was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It didn't matter how many preachers that came before them. It didn't matter how many preachers came while Paul was living. It really didn't matter how many preachers that came after Paul had died. He wanted them to stick to the foundation of of what he had given them. Now, now, what we have to understand, Paul goes a little further and says he wants them to be imitators of him. Now, I've got your attention. For 10 sermons, I've been saying, Paul was saying that he doesn't want the people to be of him. He doesn't want the people to be of Apollos. And here he says, he says, imitate me. As a matter of fact, if you got the King James Version, look there. I think it says he beseeched them to follow after him or to follow, be followers of him. But what, but what the apostle is actually saying here is that he wanted them to love the gospel as he did he wanted them to crucify themselves to the world and to be and, and for the world to be crucified to them just as he was he wanted them to only boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ just as he did Paul continues to tell them that he is sending someone who he trusts actually someone who he considered faithful someone he considered to be a son of his in the Lord he was sending Timothy to them so that Tim, because he knew Tim Timothy would share with them just what Paul would share with them. He knew Timothy would teach them just what Paul would teach them. Can I can I help us a little bit? Can I, can I help us to be really clear what we're trying to say here Paul did not want the foundation of the church to be missed he didn't want them to go away from the foundation he wanted everything to be built that the church built everything the church done every decision the church made it was built on the foundation of Jesus Christ you know if brother Larry allow me and I spoke to him and he said I could uh, I want to help us to fully understand this. Let's unpack this. We all know Brother Larry has spent a career as president and CEO of Lumbee Bank. And now he's chairman of the board. We we know that. We understand that. We all know that under his leadership, the bank has truly prospered. Y'all know that, don't you? Yeah, Yeah, okay. (laughs) When he went there, there was one branch. Now there's 14 locations spanning three counties. Under his leadership, the bank is run under certain principles, such as integrity, dedication, and a commitment to its customers with the goal of continuing to be a community bank. So we all know after serving a career there, there are many who would just think, some out loud, some not, uh, would just think, why doesn't he retire and enjoy the fruit of his labor? Why doesn't he just enjoy the rest of his life? You know, for me, the answer is pretty simple. You know, I'm outside looking in, and I, I as I'm looking in and, and evaluating all of this, it, it becomes an easy answer for me to share with people. And it is that this is like his baby. This wasn't just a job. It was like, it was like something he had birthed. Even though it was there before he went there, it wasn't where it's at now. Uh, So if that's the case, he's invested a lot of time and energy in leading this company, and it has been blessed by the hand of God. And too many people are dependent on Brother Larry's leadership through that bank. And now while he he has done a great job in grooming two men to take over his responsibilities and knowing that they're going to lead the bank into the future, uh, he's sure that the bank, that leadership's going to make some changes along the way and it's not going to always look the way it looks now. But the founding principles cannot change. No matter how these two great men that's taken over leads the bank. They cannot lose the principles of integrity. They can't lose the principles of dedication and commitment to its customers. They can't lose with the uniqueness of Lumbee Bank, it's gonna have to always be a community bank. It can grow, it can move forward, but it's got to stay with these principles. So it's not easy for a man to walk away from that until he knows that that is built in to those who are coming behind him. Here for Paul, Paul wanted to save the Corinthian church. So he warned them to place their focus on the gospel, the foundation in which the church had been built, not their preferences. If they wanted to defeat division, if they wanted to prevent division, The foundation had to supersede the preference the foundation of Jesus Christ had to be greater than their presence if not division would definitely rise up you know like (laughs) listen church family in spite of me God has been blessing this church somebody should have said amen. amen well you if you were here last week you know God is blessing this church If you were here today, you know God's blessing this church. And and I I want us to... I want to warn us that if we want to save this church from the vision, then we must keep our focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we will share the gospel with the goal of winning souls for the kingdom of God and not for Reedy Branch, if we will focus on worshiping God and being involved in the ministries of the church, if we will evangelize the laws and, and disciple the, the believers, if we will fellowship with one another, then we will love, we will live, and we will share the gospel. And when we do this, we won't allow our personal preference to divide the church. Listen, I know we all have preferences. I know we all like certain things. But if we're focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we won't hear, well, I'm not going to worship to that song. If we're focused on the gospel, we won't hear, well, I'm not going to listen to that preacher. If we're focused on the gospel, we won't hear, oh, we're having trunk or treat I'm not going to be involved in that ministry. If we're focused on the gospel, oh, they're going on a mission trip. I'm not contributing to that ministry. We won't hear these things that divide us. Instead, we'll work together to do what God has called us to do through this church. Instead, I think we should be like Brother Ronald has been. Now, he has no idea I was going to say this, but I'm going to say it. We need to be more a little like he's been. We know Brother Ronald's a Southern Gospel and a hymns guy. We know that, don't we? We we, we know that. His whole ministry up until here very recently has been Southern Gospel and, and hymn songs. And, and he does a great job, and, but... But he has set aside his preference from time to time for praise and worship music. We heard it today. He could have put his foot down when he first come and said, I'm just not going to do it like some people have done. But instead, for the ministry of the church, for the gospel to be given, for people to, to, to worship the Lord, we're going to do whatever it takes to win souls for the kingdom of God through the worship. And we appreciate that he's been willing to to do that listen he he didn't have to it wasn't his wheelhouse but he chose to he chose to oblige knowing that there's some younger folks in here there's some younger folks that's part of this church and they may not listen to the same music. You know what? We didn't listen to the same music he did because when he came, he brought another hymn book. And when we got that other hymn book, we, heard, we listened to old songs and we thought they were new. We had never heard them. We'd never sang them. We'd never, we'd never heard them played with such energy before. But there were songs I grew up on, songs a few others might have grew up on. They were old songs, but it become new. What did it do? It helped the ministry of the church. Yes, if we will want to, if we want to continue, listen. God's blessed the music ministry of this church, hasn't He? Oh, let let me say it again. Somebody should have shouted. Somebody should have stood, clapped. Some God has blessed the music ministry of this church, and because of that, we've got to do everything in our power to put our personal preferences aside, (laughs) so that we are not divided but that we are unified going in one direction. If we want to see God's blessings, we must continue together. We must heed Paul's warning to not allow these personal preferences to divide us. Listen, folks, Paul tells them that he will come to them if the Lord wills. He would remain, if they remain puffed up, Or if they would just follow the Lord's word and grow in grace. If the Lord wills, he's coming. But depending on what they decide to do, it's going to depend on how he comes. Paul says he can come to them gently as a father to his child. Or he can come with the rod of discipline as a father should his child. Some might say it this way. Paul's telling them, get right or get God." Yeah. Yeah, get right or get God. Yeah. Listen, folks, this is serious because in First Peter 4 and 17, the Bible says, For the time has come that judgment will begin at the house of God. And if it first begins at us, what shall the end be to them who obey not the gospel of God? You know, I opened up the sermon with my start to baseball. What I could have done as a 12-year-old boy, I could have allowed my misunderstanding of what the coach was doing in those late practice sessions to cause division between me and him. I could have went home to mama and daddy and complained and griped, fussed about he's picking on me. I was a 12-year-old boy. I could have done that. And if I would have done that it would have had an impact on our team. Not just me, but on the team. Folks, I'm so glad that I trusted my coach. And I'm so glad that I learned some valuable lessons. One was he was not out to hurt me. He was out to save our team. And if we're willing to trust and obey what God is saying, if we will trust Romans 8 and 28, which says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, when we don't understand this decision, we trust God in it. Perhaps maybe God is speaking to To us as a church. Perhaps he's speaking to us as leaders. Perhaps. He's speaking to us as individuals. I can't speak for you. But maybe he's calling someone. To repent. To repent of wanting. And being divisive. Because of their own personal preference. And focus more. Upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we will focus on the gospel and not personal agendas, we will find God will bless us and He'll bless us beyond our deserving. Right now, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I don't know where you stand. I don't know what God is doing in the midst right now of your life. If he's calling you to repent, this altar is open. We have a bench. We have areas here where you can kneel down or sit down. Or you can sit right where you're at. Whatever the Spirit leads you to do, you choose. And if you feel there's something you need to repent of, oh, by all means. Now, I want to tell you, I... I worked through this message in my study and I've had to do some repenting. I've been going through this along with you and I've had to do some self-evaluating and had to see what it was that, that we were doing. Was it something I wanted or something God was leading us into? Maybe you need to just have the opportunity to talk with God. And I invite you to do that right now while you're doing that for those of you who have yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you've heard the warning given to the church that judgment begins in the house of God but please don't you forget it says in there that if it begins with us what shall the end be to you that obey not the gospel Folks, if you die in the state you're in, if you leave this world apart from God, your judgment will have eternal consequences. You will pay a penalty for your sins that Jesus has already paid for. So you don't have to face that penalty. Why would you pay for something that's already been paid for? But that choice is up to you. All you have to do to escape the penalty of your sins is believe Jesus is the son of God. That he died for your sins and he arose to give you victory. If you believe this and you're willing to confess that you are a sinner and confess your sins to God, not the man, but the God... Repent of your sins and receive Jesus as your Savior, then you shall be saved. The Bible declares, just as that thief on the cross, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, what is it, preacher? I need to call, just say, have mercy on me. I believe. Jesus is the Savior of the world. I thank him for saving me. And I confess him as my Savior.